Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn, let's get straight into the Word. I'm going to uh, jump into Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 to 3. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And I just felt God say to me, and I was preparing this message, it's not really uh, an intellectual message, but it's more of a message that I pray will cha- uh, challenge and encourage your spirit uh, this morning. So Exodus 17, verse 1 to 3. The Bible says, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved back to a pl- uh, moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But Tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your time, Lord God. We thank you for this church and we realise this is not just another Sunday morning. Your presence is here and this is your holy ground. So I just pray, let your word speak to us. We invite your Holy Spirit. We come against every uh, distraction, every stronghold, anything that will try to hinder your word. There's freedom in your cross, Lord God. So we love you. We, want to, we pray your word will give us life this morning. Uh, by your grace and for your glory, speak life into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the topic I want to speak about today is <clears throat> intimacy with God. Uh, last week, Steph and I, we celebrated our 10th year wedding anniversary. And um, as I was reflecting, I had this question. What is the purpose of marriage? Now, could you imagine if your wife or your husband said to you, you know, the only reason why I married you was because of your money or because of your status or because you're a great joke teller? That one's probably more acceptable. I'll take that one. But the other two, you kind of feel awful, I think, because you know, you're being, you, you'd be, you know you'd feel used. Now, we come to this text where the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and they call out to God for deliverance. God raises Moses, who helps the Israelites escape Egypt. And, and God does amazing miracles to make this happen. And you know what? The Israelites are loving God for what he's doing. They're just loving God and praising for what he's doing for them. You know, God splits the Red Sea. He turns bitter water into fresh water, so they've got something to drink. There's no food, so God creates the first ever Uber Eats. Cause the quails, cause the birds, and the drop off the food. It kind of upsets me a little bit because this is a million dollar idea. We could have taken advantage of this. It was in the Bible the whole time. And people say the Bible is irrelevant. Right there, Uber Eats. And then they arrive at a place where there's no water and they complain to God, saying, Why are you trying to kill us? And towards the end of that scripture, they ask a very interesting question. They ask, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Now, on the surface, this just looks like a superficial question, more like a complaint. But I believe it reveals something deeper to what was happening in their heart. And although this is just a simple question, I believe the answer to this question will change our view of God this morning. So the question I have for you is, where was God first leading the Israelites when they escaped Egypt? What was the first place they were going to? Because the answer to this question will give us the purpose to why God initially 
delivered them out of Egypt. Now, who thinks it was a promised land? The answer is actually no. Yes, that was part of God's plan and always part of God's promise, but God wanted to take them somewhere else first because he had a different purpose in mind. And we're going to explore that right now. In Exodus 7, 16, God's talking to Moses to tell what he's going to explain to Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt then. He says, Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. You see, God's main purpose in delivering Israel wasn't just about the promised land. It wasn't just about receiving the blessings and, hey, what can God do to benefit my life? But God's first purpose when he brought them out of Israelites was for them to know and love God, for them to worship God and have an intimate relationship with him. You see, just like a marriage, if you, if, if you marry someone for what you can get out of them, now, what's he doing in my life to benefit my life? That we've become distracted, that somehow on the journey we have forgotten that God's greatest desire for our lives, that the number one reason why He created us is to know and love Him. I don't know how you've come to church this morning. Maybe you've walked in and life has been hard and circumstances have just been so tricky and you just feel like giving up. You feel there's no purpose and you can't see hope for tomorrow. I want to encourage you. As long as you're breathing, God's not done with you yet. Your life is not done yet, but God's got a purpose and calling in your life. And that is, you're created to know and love God. The number one purpose in life is to know God. Every morning, our desire should be, God, I just want to love you and know you a little bit more today. There's no greater desire in God's heart than to have a friendship with you. And this was God's, time for the, this was God's uh, purpose and plan for the beginning of time. And religion has stuffed it up. The Bible says that Adam and Eve would daily walk with God um, in the Garden of Eden. And then they made a mistake. But listen to God's first response to them after they sinned. I love this. These are the most three important words I, I, you will ever hear. I thank God for these three words. Listen to what he says. Genesis 3, 9, he says, But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? Where are you? Did you notice that God's first response was, Why did you sin? I know you made a mistake. What are you doing that for? No, the first thing he said was, where are you? Why would God say that first? Because this is the truth. God's, not, God's first concern isn't about your KPIs or your performance or your checklist. That's called religion. And God hates religion. But the first and most important thing God cares about the you most is your heart and your desire and your relationship with him. Adam and Eve, where are you? I know you've sinned. I know you made a step, but where are you? I just want to be with you. I just want to walk with you. I just want to talk with you. I want a relationship with you. Uh, six months ago, I was studying and uh, Steph pulled me aside. She says, Dave, come to the family room. And goes, she goes, David, don't freak out. And she's about to turn the TV on. I noticed there was a piece of Lego next to the TV. And we just bought a brand new TV about, a year, about 18 months ago. And she turned the TV on and I noticed a massive crack in the screen, a big black line. And uh, trust me, my first three words weren't, where are you? <laughs> my first three words was, who did this? It came out of a place of frustration and anger. You know, some of us have this mentality of God who says to us, who did this? We have this picture of God who's always angry with us. And no matter what we do, we're just never good enough. He's waiting for us to make a mistake and we just can't please him. 
I want to tell you, we don't serve a God who, of who says to us, who did this, but we serve a God who says to us, where are you? Because the most important thing to God is your friendship with him. He wants to be your friend this morning. Romans 5.11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You know, this word where God calls you my friend in the Greek doesn't just mean a casual acquaintance. It's, it's the same word uh, that is used to describe a best man or a maid of honour at your wedding. It's your best friend. It's a close, personal relationship where they're the ones that tell you all the most embarrassing stories at your wedding day. You know why? Because they don't just know about you, they know you and you know them. Billy Graham once said, most of us know about God, but it's quite different from knowing God. Interesting statement. You, know, you might know about someone, but it doesn't necessarily mean you know them. What's the difference between knowing about someone or knowing someone? It's intimacy. It's closeness. It, it's a deep friendship. It's as you talk together, it's as you walk together, it's as you do life together. It goes from knowing about someone, from knowing who they are. And I want to tell you this morning, God's greatest desire in your life is not you just to know about him, but he wants you to know who he is this morning. He does, his greatest desire is not for you to be religious, but to be relational with him this morning. Let me ask you this question. What keeps a husband and wife bonded together in marriage? What keeps a husband and wife bonded after 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of marriage? Someone once said, the most, four, the most four important words of a, of a successful marriage is, I'll do the dishes. <laughs> They're not lying. There's truth behind that. The number one thing that keeps a marriage bonded together is a thing called intimacy. Intimacy. And I'm not just talking about a physical intimacy. I'm talking about a deeper level of intimacy, you know, kind of like a, a deeper level of intimacy where she knows me, I know her, and we, and we feel connected as one. It's a deep level of friendship. And God is saying to some of us here this morning, he's saying, I want intimacy with you. I want friendship with you. I want closeness with you. I want to walk and talk with you daily. And it's when we start to walk in this intimacy with God, he starts to transform us. He starts to heal. He starts to restore us. And we're never the same again. I want to tell you this morning, religion doesn't change your life. Relationship with God changes your life. Religion doesn't heal or restore your life. Relationship with God restores your life. Jack, Jack Hines says, God's mighty power comes when God's people learn to walk with God. Something I've done many, many years ago. I try, I don't do it every day. I've tried to do it every day, but I just try to go for a 15, 20 minute walk every day. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the house and I'm one way. And as soon as I go for that walk, I spend time with God, either praying or listening or just being like, I come back, I'm just a different person. It's his intimacy. It's his, it's his presence. It's, it's who he is that changes us when we connect with him. The other day I was reading about how God took Enoch to heaven and uh, he didn't even experience death on earth. He just took him straight to heaven. And what caught my eye was how God, how God describes Enoch's life. It's powerful. Hebrews 11.5 says, For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Powerful, powerful statement. You know, if there's one description I want to hear from God when I meet him is, I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. So the question I have is, what did Enoch do that pleased God so much? Like if, if we love God and we want to please God, then Enoch's kind of got the template to, for us to follow. So what did he do that pleased God so much? And the answer is found in Genesis 5, verse 23, 24. It says, Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. 
Then one day he disappeared because God took him. What did Enoch do that pleased God so much? The Bible says he, he walked in close fellowship with God. He wasn't religious. He walked in close fellowship with God. It's interesting. The Hebrew word for walk in this verse is the word called halak. Can you say halak with me? Halak. Uh, which means to come along or to go or fro. In other words, Enoch came along with God. He was side by side with God and, have a, and had conversations to and fro with God. He walked intimately with God. You know, if you ever want to get to know someone, develop a friendship with someone, all you need to do is go for a walk. Think about, think about what it's like when you go for a walk with a friend. When you go for a walk with a friend, you don't walk 10 metres apart. What do you do? You walk side by side. And as you walk side by side, you start to hear each other talk. You start to share ideas. You start to share experiences. You start to share your feelings. And what happens? A friendship is bonded. It's connected. It's formed. It's as you walk side by side with God, you start to hear God speak. He starts to speak into your life. He starts to speak into those situations, those circumstances. The Bible says that God's voice is like a whisper which means you need to be close to God to be able to hear him. You need to be, you need to be side by side for, him to, for you to be able to hear his voice. And I felt God challenge me and challenge the church. Are we walking side by side with God this morning? The truth is, there's nothing more than he wants to do in your life than affect your walk. Because if he can derail your walk, he can disrupt your intimacy with God. So the question is, how does the enemy do this? How does he disrupt our walk? Uh, Peter Jenkins wrote a book in 1973 called A Walk Across America and it became New York Times bestseller because of his unbelievable experience. Peter Jenkins began a five-year journey where he walked over 8,000 kilometres with his dog across America. He started from New York down to Mobile, downtown Alabama and across to New Orleans. From New Orleans, he walked across Texas to New Mexico to Colorado and to Oregon. I feel tired just mentioning all those states, Jeepers. He carried with him a 30-kilo backpack. He worked jobs in between and it took him and his dog five years to complete. During this time, he walked, he walked through freezing blizzards. He walked through hot, uh, the extreme hot deserts. He was attacked by animals. He was attacked by dogs. He was bitten by snakes. He was hit by a car. His dog was hit by a car. He was mugged three times. He was stabbed one time. You name it, this poor guy and his dog went through it. Towards the, when he finished his walk, a reporter came up to him and asked him this, this interesting question. In all of your experiences through walking through the freezing deserts and blizzards and the extreme heat of deserts, to getting attacked by animals and getting hit by cars and getting mugged and stabbed, what was the greatest thing that came close to you giving up your walk? Do you know what he said? You're not going to believe what he said. He said, sand in my shoes. Little grains of sand in his shoes. Listen, if I saw a snake, forget it. I quit. Now, I don't care if I get hit by a car. If my dog gets hit by a car, it's over. Forget it. He said he'd get little grains of sand in between his toes. It would just grind away slowly by slowly, daily by day, week by week. It just slowly grind away at him. You see, it wasn't the big things that tripped him up. It was the little grains of sand that started to influence and derail his walk. And the same, true, the same thing is true with our walk with God. It's not the big things that trip us up. It's, a, it's the little things that slowly start to deceive us. And one of the ways the enemy does this is by slowly attacking our appetite and our hunger for the things of God. You know, it's just a, it's, it's just a little grains of sand that nobody can see. It's just a little hurt. It's a, it's a little temptation, a little compromise, 
which then starts to affect our heart and desire for the things of God, which in turn affects our daily walk and our relationship with him. You know, it's the power of a little sand, just a little sand that can completely strip the paint off a car. John Bevere says, Backsliding does not begin when a person finds himself in bed with a strange woman or discovers he again craves alcohol or pornography. Backsliding doesn't begin when he despises the ones he loves and neglects his children. No. Backsliding begins when we find ourselves more excited about the natural things than the things of God. That hit me when I read that. It was really challenging. A question I get regularly asked by people is, how do I know if I'm backsliding? Yeah, how do I know if I'm turning away from God? Well, one of the first signs of spiritual sickness begins when there's a loss of appetite, when there's a loss of hunger for the things of God. Just like when you become physically sick, what's the first thing you lose? It's your hunger. It's your desire. You know, I'm Italian, so if I, if I don't feel hungry, some, I know something's not right with me. Who's with me? You know what I mean? And you know what? It's no different in a spiritual sense. Your appetite for God, your hunger for God, your desire for God is your thermometer, which indicates if you're either spiritually well or spiritually sick. And that's why the enemy, think, that's why the enemy will do everything he can to attack your hunger, to attack your desire from reading the Word of God, for prayer, to, to coming to church, to seek his presence. Because listen carefully, what you value in your life will determine how you live your life. What you value in your life, what you feed on in life will determine how you live your life. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. In other words, what you desire the most, you'll draw close to. And whatever you draw close to will determine what you do, how you behave and where you end up in life. There's a spiritual principle that has never changed and will never, ever change. And that is, we hunger on what we feed on. Whatever we feed on, we hunger more of. If I have a steady diet of chocolate, what happens? I crave more chocolate. You know, if I just have a little block, a little square, what happens? I end up eating the whole row. If we feed ourselves on the things of this world, we will crave, but we'll also be drawn to the things of this world. But listen, church, the good news is this. The opposite is also true. The opposite is also true. If we choose to feed ourselves in the daily, daily in the Word of God, if we choose to discipline ourselves in prayer, then guess what? The more we'll crave the presence of God and the more we'll be drawn to Him. It becomes easier because the truth is you pursue whatever you feed on. You pursue whatever you feed on. That's why the enemy's plan for your life is to flood your life with busyness. It's to flood your life with distractions. It's to attack your values and to attack your priorities until you either uh, uh, compromise or conform. It's to steal your hunger for reading the Word of God and spending time in, with God in prayer. Because listen, if you can influence your heart, if you can influence what you feed on, if you can influence the food you, you eat, you influence your walk. And his goal for your life is to have a walk away from God. A walk where he leads you down a path where he'll destroy your family, he'll destroy your marriage, he'll destroy your relationship with God. You know, I, I had this thought the other day. Nobody just wakes up and says, you know what, today's the day I'm going to turn away from God. No, no one wakes up and goes, you know what, today's the day I'm going to destroy my marriage. Today's the day I'm going to destroy my kids' lives. It doesn't work like that. Where does it begin? It begins way down there with the little grains of salt, the little thoughts, the little lies which we choose to meditate on. The Bible says, guard your heart. 
Guard your desires. Watch what you feed up. Watch what you value because it will determine the course of your life. It's the little things we need to be careful of. Guard our heart. Guard my heart. I love David's prayer in Psalm 51, 10. It's something that I need to pray regularly in my life. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God. The most important thing in our, in our life, especially in our Christian walk, is the condition of our heart. Not performance, because it has the capacity to lead us either to or away from God. The danger is when you come to church for such a long time, we become so familiar with behaviour. We become so familiar with the Christianese lifestyle. We just know how to play the game. Sometimes I can be so busy serving church and doing administration and, and serving, 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 that it replaces the most important thing in my life. And that is my walk and heart to be with God. Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus, which is a church similar to us. In Revelation 2, verse 2 to 5, listen to what he says. This is the Passion Translation. He says, I know all you've done for me. I know you've worked hard and you persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You've, you've tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were imposters. I also know that you have bravely endured trials and prosecution because of my name, yet you have not become discouraged. Behaviour, tick, 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 tick. Verse 4. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Do you remember what it was like at the beginning? It was just you and God. You just felt his presence daily. All you wanted to do was just read his word and just spend time with him. He's challenging this church. You're so focused on behavior, but you forgot the most important thing. My heart and walk with you. Verse 5 says, think about how far you have fallen. Hosea 6, 6 says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. What happened to the Christians in the church of emphasis? They became so familiar with the Christianese lifestyle. They became so familiar with a tick box that they forgot the most important thing in life. And that is to know and love God. And that should be our greatest desire every day. Our first purpose in life is to know God a little bit more every day. To love God a little bit more every day. 1 Timothy 6.21, very interesting verse. Paul, again, is talking to a different church. It's funny, the last two verses I read, you think it's talking to non-believers, but these verses are actually talking to Christians. Listen to what he says. Some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. He's talking to a church. Um, coming back to the beginning of this text, of this story where Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, they finally arrive at a place called My, uh, Mount Shinai. Moses goes up this mountain and he has an encounter with the presence of God. In fact, the Bible says he's up there for 40 days and it's, just, and it's just this beautiful illustration of intimacy. In fact, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses as a friend. It's just a beautiful story of intimacy. And uh, during this time, the Israelites, instead of seeking God, decide to build a golden calf to worship. God sees what's happening and he's just devastated. He's devo. He's it's just killed him. He's so upset because the whole purpose why he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt wasn't just about getting to the promised land. It wasn't just about blessings, but it was for his people to know and worship him in a deeper way, not just religiously. In fact, they actually started to worship another God. They forgot the whole purpose of why God created them. They forgot the whole purpose of why God brought them out of Egypt. It's clearly obvious that all they were after was the promise, but not the promise maker himself. And you know what God says to Moses? He goes, you know what? You guys can have your promised land. He goes, you can have your blessings. You, you can have your promised land, 
but I'm not coming with you. My presence isn't going to be with you. And listen to how Moses responds. You've got to remember, he's just been with God for 40 days in his presence. Listen to how he responds. And I just pray this would be our heart. I pray this would be my heart, wherever I go, that this would be the heart of the church. Listen to his response. Exodus 33, 15. It's a powerful scripture. He says, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, we'll rather live in the desert with you than in the promised land without you. You've got to remember where he was. He was in the desert. The desert was an awful place. It was a place of hardship. It was a place of no hope. It was a place of difficult times. You didn't want to be in the desert. Why would Moses say this powerful declaration? Because he had an encounter with the presence of God. He saw and tasted that God was good and that life outside the relationship with God, life outside the presence of God would be meaningless. Moses knew that true satisfaction, true wholeness in our life isn't found in the outcomes. It's, it's not fair when we finally get to that promised land. We, we always have this mentality that we think the grass is green on the other side. That if I can just get that title, if I can just find that person, if I can just get that position or, that, or you know, those, uh, those items in my life, then I'll be happy. I will feel the presence of God. I'll be fulfilled. It's amazing how people will make such destructive decisions just to fill this void in their life. It's because we forget that true fulfilment and purpose, true peace and joy comes to our hearts when we do what God created us to do. And that is to know and love God, our first purpose in life. St. Augustus once said, man is restless until he finds God. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I don't care how long you've been a Christian for. There's a restless inside all of us. We, We all battle this restlessness. And it's only until we daily connect with God, this restlessness starts to settle. It starts to just calm down. It's only in His presence where He meets our deepest needs, where we feel safe and secure. David says in Psalms, In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Why don't we stand? We're going to sing a song in a minute to end. You know, I don't know what battles or struggles you may be facing this morning. But I do know one thing. God knows and cares about what you're going through. He knows and He sees and He cares for what you're going through. And your answers are not found um, when you get to the promised land. Your answers are not found when you finally get to that destination you think it is. Your answers are found only in the presence of God. When we start to daily connect and walk with Him. Some of you guys are facing circumstances where you're hurting so much. I just can't even understand some of the things you're going through. I want you to know, start to connect with God because He's the comforter. He's the healer. His presence will restore you. For some of us, our hunger or passion for the things that God has just slowly drifted away. You know, it wasn't intentional. It's like we plan to just lose our desires, but it was just the small sands. It was just that little grain of sand that just slowly grinded away at us. And God is saying, will you walk with me again? Will you come back with me again? I want to go back to a place where it was just you and I doing life together. Will you walk with me, Jesus is saying. The Bible says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. There's no greater desire in God's heart than you draw close to Him. We're going to sing this song called Nothing Else. And it's a beautiful song about drawing close to God.
I just felt God saying, let's not be religious, but let's draw close to him because that's the number one thing is your heart for him. Thank you, Luke. Let's sing. I'm caught up in your presence And I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to
start to build an altar between you and God right now. God, we just want to say nothing else would do but your presence. We want to have the heart for worship this morning, Lord God. We want to have the heart to passionate to serve you this morning. Above all else, God, we want your presence, Lord God. We want to sense you. We want to seek you. We want everything to do with you this morning, Father God. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you. We declare we love you, God. And no matter what circumstances we're going through right now, Lord God, we'll make this this declaration right now. We want you, Father God. Above all anything else, we want you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. There's nothing else we want more of you, God, but you this morning, Lord God. We thank you, God, that you brought us out of Egypt, not just to bless our lives, but you've called us into an intimacy relationship with you, not for what we've done, but what for you have done. And we just say, God, we don't want to play religion anymore. We don't want to play uh, tick box anymore, but we want to passionately follow you and walk with you for every day of our lives. And right now, we just commit our passions and our desires to you in this place, Lord God. We're not going to be thrown down by the enemy or thrown down by the Lord, but we're going to make this declaration. Nothing but you, God. Nothing but you, God. Come on, let's sing it again. Nothing else. You and nothing else. our prayer today that as we leave that we go with you we take you everywhere we go in our homes in our workplace in our schools our universities wherever we go we want to take you with us Lord thank you for that intimacy that we can have with you and we seek it and we hunger for it and we thirst for it and we want it more and more and thank you for your word today we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen pray you have a great week and take the presence of God with you wherever you go in Jesus name Amen Amen